Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And we are, we're geeking out a little bit today. I'm not going to lie. We <laughs> love this doctor that we have on today because he was actually one of the inspirations and influences behind us starting this podcast, which is, first of all, to all of our loyal listeners, thank you. We, we can't believe what you've allowed us to be able to do. And more importantly, who we've been able to talk to. And having Dr. Pierre Corey on with us today is a completely full circle moment because early on, you heard us, you could probably go back to episodes two or three where we start talking about him speaking out as a physician and not just any physician. I mean, Dr. Corey has a new book, which I'm going to tell everyone to go read. First of all, The War on Ivermectin. By the way, it's not just about ivermectin, and it's not just about the war on ivermectin. It's about his journey through the last few years, which is an eye-opener to a lot of you. Some of us know the corruption that's gone on, but when you read his story, I mean, it is like you've been divinely picked, Dr. Corey, as like to experience the worst of medicine so that you can bring out the best in it, right? Because you really did get to have your eyes blown wide open. And we're living in a time where everything is politicized and it certainly was since 2020. And I think a lot of people thought Kristen, Amy and I were like far right wings, wingers, like you know, we got we got grouped early on, even though we came from across the political spectrum and hated politics and thought everything in DC was terrible. Yeah, um, we still got, and still do, and still, still. do. Right, it's, <laughs> Dr. Corey, you're one of my favorites because you came out and you're like, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, you know, <laughs> and I still think this is crazy, you know. <laughs> I, I just your fire and your passion as someone who has also got a challenger's personality and like can drop some ugly words from time to time, as my mom would say, ugly words in the South. Um, Your passion though is what always fired me up because you could tell that you were, it was coming from a place deep inside of you of true conviction. And you put it all on the line to really bring early treatment to COVID. And I am so excited that today, we've wanted to talk to you for two years, but now (laughs) we see the fear mongering coming back. COVID's coming back. And we see that the FDA just had to acknowledge that your treatment should have been allowed, right? And so today we are excited to have you tell our listeners who haven't read your book yet, why they should read it, why they should know what your most recent uh, protocol is for FLCCC and how to access it so that they're prepared to really push back against all the fear mongering and to take control of their own health. So thank you, thank you for being here. Wait, hold on, I hope your viewers are excited as I am because you just (laughs) Like so pumped up. I'm like, I'm all excited. 
we we just know that this is the time to talk to you because it now you've I mean like okay for example I think there's a time we could have talked to you where you would have thought the flu shot was probably still like yeah I should get yeah. the flu shot here mm -hmm. and I think you when this dive started you're such a learner and a student which by the way I want to tell everybody for for moms who have boys like I do who don't who aren't making great grades in college. Dr. Corey didn't either. You can read about it in his book. And I love that you, Dr. Corey, you're a unique individual. I, I do think you, there's something in you that doesn't need to follow along. There is a part of you that loves to challenge and think outside the box, which we need in medicine. And so that's, I think, what got you here and got you in some, quote, trouble. But thank God it did because we need you or we need more of you. Yeah, you, you know, I, I like what you just said. And this isn't to toot my own horn, but like, you know, when I look back on what my career was like, this is before COVID. So even before COVID, like I, you know, as I came through training and I started to see how we were treating patients for different conditions, I always asked, like, why are we doing it this way? And I would quickly find out in a lot of circumstances that what we were doing was based on like old knowledge tradition. It was not incorporating like new knowledge, physiology, nuance, and I would just fight everything. So like in all of my jobs in medicine, I was always the guy who was like the, you know, the like the the, the crank in the wheel. I, I I always challenged the status quo and. Whenever you do that, you find that the status quo is oftentimes based on really flimsy evidence that's outdated that no one has put in the effort to change or to bring about. And I've always done that. And and COVID was uh, gave me a lot of work. <laughs> well, well, you did. And I mean, just reading about what your life was like during that time, which let's let's take our listeners back to that time really quickly, because something really important happened that Kristen and Amy and I did not know about until 2020 or maybe even 2021, I guess, when Paul Merrick yep. was treating. So Paul Merrick was this this doctor that you greatly admired. In fact, I think the whole world did. Anyone who knew of him knew how great his work was. And he was treating sepsis with, among other things, very high doses of intravenous vitamin C and was saving patients. And you incorporated his protocol in your hospital. Is that yep. correct? And yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. And then what happened after that? Because I think this is again, we want we want to open eyes to the corruption and the and we want everyone to get that insider look that you give in the book to the system so they understand how it's working. So can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, so I, I like that you brought that up, Holly. So so because when you look at Paul and I, so you know, I am uh probably 20 years Paul's junior in terms of career in medicine. And um, when I was in training, Paul was like a huge name in our specialty. I mean, you always heard about Marek, his different papers, his different name. And by the way, if you think that I always challenge the status quo, Paul Marek is the OG at doing that. So, I mean, he's upended orthodoxy multiple times in Korea, and that's why he became so famous. And so I followed his work. I liked his work. And you know, when you said that he started treating patients with vitamin C, it's, it, you know, what I think people should understand is that he started to come across some papers with really like massive data showing that IV vitamin C had major impacts in septic shock. And he looked at all the papers and he said, you know what? And he put together a little protocol of some, you know, reasonably uh, high dose IV vitamin C, some corticosteroids and another IV vitamin. And 
in his paper on that, he describes the first two patients he treated. And he literally describes, I shouldn't use the word, but he describes that kind of a resurrection. And as, as doctors who take care of the critically ill, multi-organ system failure, septic shock, he treated his first two patients deathly ill. And he saw a response that was so overwhelming. He describes it in his paper, and it's very hard to do in an academic paper. It tends to be very dry and data-driven. But he describes these phenomenal responses, and then he reports on instituting his protocol in the next 47 patients. And very few died. And he compared them to the 47 patients he did before, 40% died. Whereas in, in after he started his protocol, 8% died. And I got to tell you, just to put it in context, if you're not a doctor... There's nothing in modern medicine which reduces mortality rates from 40 to 8%. That would be like discovering penicillin. Yeah. So he put out that paper. And as you know, because you know you read it, like when I first read his paper, I didn't know who Marek was. I knew how important and how much people respected him. But I was like, that paper's a load of crap. There's no way that those vitamin cocktail does anything. And I ignored it for a year. And then I was having a really tough week in the ICU. I had a lot of patients very sick. I had families coming after. What else can you do, doctor? What else can you do? And I said, you know what? Let me try the Marek protocol. And I tried it. And the first couple of patients I tried it with were like actually pretty near death's door and they ended up dying. But then I tried on a patient early on and I never saw a response like that. And then it clicked. I said, what he described in that paper is what I'm seeing. And then I started using it. And and what's interesting, this is a little bit of a backstory, but Paul Marek had written to me years before about an editorial that I had published, which was informed by his work. And I never replied to him because I was going through some personal problems. And when I discovered the power of value of vitamin C, I wrote to Paul and he said, call me. And we had a conversation. And that friendship really, it predated FLCCC, it predated COVID. It talked about our IB vitamin C years. But um, we, we, we don't have to go too much into this, Holly, but I want to tell you that I just wrote the book, The War on Ivermectin. I do have plans for another book, which is The War on IV Vitamin C. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I awesome. kind of hinted that you're going to tell more things in the future in the book. And I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. Which, by the way, I want to just tell you, we try to read a lot of, of stuff from people that we admire and respect. You did such an amazing job with this book because you don't just write it as a physician. In fact, I it's very easy to read through. And I think it's because you're writing it as a human, living the shared experience that we all had, only you were living it on the front lines of literally everything, including the George Floyd case, which that's another story for another yeah. day. Crazy, <laughs> but you got pulled into that too. But it's just, to me, the book is easy to read because you tell the story. And it's a relatable story for those of us who, if you've even seen a glimpse, even just a glimpse, I, I was talking to a girl from New York City that's a friend of mine yesterday. I was telling her I was gonna get to talk to you today. And she said, you know why I knew not to get the vaccine? And she's a New Yorker. I was yeah. like, why? She goes, because my father was killed as a result of 9-11 because he was a firefighter Whoa. and he breathed the air that the government continued to tell us was safe for him to yes. breathe. She, so she knew said, not to trust the government. Yeah. She knew not to trust. So if you have a little glimpse of, hmm, so this Holly, book is going to connect the dots. I want to give a little shout out here to my co-writer, Jenna McCarthy. So I, I wrote the book. Yeah. Jenna put a couple of flourishes. I mean, she did a number of things, but I just got to tell you, when you say it's easy to read, yeah. That's because of Jenna. Because Jenna. I'm a geek. I can get real granular. And so like the first draft of the book was 
literally twice the length of the eventual book. And so me and Jen, and by the way, Jenna is from New York, like I am. Yes. She's as foul mouth as I am. So we would be into these swearing I fights in already. the middle of the night where she's like, this is coming out. And I'm like, you do this, we're done. <laughs> so I literally fought tooth and nail, but she really did keep the central parts of the story that's most readable and, and sort of followable. And I do really think the book is so great and I it would never have been as great without my co-writer. I, I, I'm blessed to have had her. So. Well, she reached out to me after I posted about getting to talk to you the, the, and, and I oh. said- I was like, hey, Jenna, we're talking to you next. So we're yes. going to have a conversation with her too She's, because she- by, by the way, Jenna yeah. is the funniest human being alive, super okay. smart. What a talented writer. She's like one of my favorite people and best friends now. We, we talk all the time. So That's yeah, talk cool. to her. She's fantastic. But I, I really do think that you wrote it so well in, in really outlining everything so people don't get bogged down into things that we don't understand because we're not physicians, but right. you know, but we could understand what was happening. And so you saw you saw corruption because with Dr. Merrick, of course, they came after him because he was promoting essentially what I think we could probably agree. He was promoting a cheap and and, and easily accessible treatment. There was didn't have a patent on it. <laughs> no drug company was making a million dollars. No hospital was making a million dollars. Um, and they, for whatever reason, set up a study to make it fail, which is something, by the way, we didn't know either until the last three years. That did you guys know, listeners, they can set up studies for medicines or whatever in science, and they're already designed to give the outcome they want. Mm -hmm. And in the case of vitamin C, they weren't giving it early enough. They weren't, they weren't following the protocol. Sounds and so right. it didn't look like it was as effective as you and Dr. Merrick were seeing that it was firsthand. Right? But Holly, what you just told your listeners, you have to understand is the vast majority of doctors, including myself prior to COVID, did not know this. And even though Paul and I, we've, we've lived through the war on IV vitamin C before COVID, we didn't understand what was happening with IV vitamin C. When we saw those trials coming out, which showed that IV vitamin C didn't work, I mean, I mean we lost our minds because we knew how, how, how potent it was and how much it worked. And when we saw the design of the trials, we were like, oh, they're just being stupid. They don't recognize the importance of this facet or this facet. And we thought it was stupidity and ignorance. Mm. It's not stupidity news. They know exactly what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's frightening. It's frightening. And that's, and that's what they did with hydroxychloroquine and 100%. And, and the hydroxychloroquine. So one of the things I say is that, you know, the book, The War on Ivermectin, um, I considered a few things, like you kind of mentioned, it's a little bit of a biography and a transformation of me politically, spiritually, socially, you know, everything. By the way, you mentioned that I, like I was a Democrat. I'm like cringing at that description because number one, number one, the left is now the right and the right is now the left. And yes. I frequently switched, okay? Like the Democrats and the left can go, you know what they can go to do them. So yeah. They've completely lost their lost mind. The so so when, you, when I hear that, like uh, I'm a Democrat because I used to be, but uh, whatever. Anyway, but- yeah, so in the book, I trace a lot of those things that are transforming in COVID because like all of us, everybody's been affected and transformed, but none more than me. I mean, I've literally undergone a sea change as a man, as a professional, as a physician. 
And, and so part of it traces that and the events that led to that. But then the core of the book is really a case study of a disinformation campaign and how they execute them. And, and although I use ivermectin as the case study, this has been going on for decades with many off-patent drugs. And, and, and Kristen, you just mentioned hydroxychloroquine because what, one of the things I say is I wrote the book called The War on Ivermectin. Peter McCullough could have written the book The War on Hydroxychloroquine because it was the same war, same tactics, yeah. just two different years. But there was right. the same objective. They could not have effective early treatments known by all. That's right. And we can also design a study to make it look like it works when it really shouldn't, like remdesivir and all these, like it's so corrupt. And I'm, 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 I'm a nurse. We didn't teach that, you know, we didn't, I didn't, I didn't really look at a ton of studies beforehand before all of this. I've done a whole lot of unlearning through all of this. 100%. I mean, I have learned and unlearned so much. My mind is blown. Like I can't sleep. There's, I mean, I'm just like, oh my God. And I can't not say it. I can't not tell people. You know, Kristen, what, what you just said, which is really important point, is that um, they can create studies, do whatever they want. If they want them to be positive to show that their medicine works and is safe, they can bury adverse effects very easily. They can overinflate the efficacy. If they want to show a drug doesn't work because it's a competitor, they can do that. And they've been doing that. And, and, and these studies, and, and when you really see the scope and the scale of what they're able to do and the history and how long they've been able to do it. So here's another thing is that one of, I would probably say one of the most transformative insights throughout COVID is how captured the high impact medical journals are. And if you've read the book, there's a chapter I call the editorial mafia. And I talk about the editors of the five highest impact medical journals in the world, which is the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association, British Medical Journal, The Lancet, and The Annals. And the thing is, is I discovered that they were corrupt and working for pharma in COVID. But yet there are books written over the last 20 to 30 years by former editors of those journals, which are calling attention to the fact that pharma runs the journals. I thought I was the first one to discover it in COVID. <laughs> and then now I've done research and nothing I've discovered is new. It's been going right. on for decades. And someone was saying it, right, Dr. Corey? So people were saying it, but their voices just get silenced, marginalized. They get called crazy or quacks. It, what do they do to us? They try I, to do That's me now. That's my job now to get, I'm now a fringe, quack, <laughs> radical, anti-vaxxer, right-wing Republican. Yes. So are so we. In front of ivermectin. I don't know. Yeah. Research and thinking like right. all of those are it, like they're synonyms. Like, so we need a new thesaurus, you know? Yeah. Well, like you said, we were listening to your interview with um, Brett Weinstein and he said, yeah. and when you were saying that, like most doctors only don't even know how to really read a study, they're busy. You know, you guys are on the front lines. You're busy with patients. So you're just reading the abstracts. When you say that the abstract comes from these top five high impact medical journals, that's, that's your Bible. That's it. That's all you need why, to know. Why question it? So right. here's the thing about that, Amy. It's not only that they don't read. I think what's more damaging to them from not reading is that they're overly trusting because I was the same. Because right. uh, I got to tell you, I'm guilty of abstract skimming. I mean, we are really busy. I, I'm in a really busy, I was in a really busy specialist as an ICU doctor. And 
you know, you get all these journals and you, you, you see an article that tested something, you're really interested in the outcome and you kind of skim it. You go to the abstract mm-hmm. conclusion, you're like, oh, it didn't work. Oh, this worked or something to look into further. And the thing is, the problem with that is it's not that you're skimming. It's that the reason why you're skimming is that you have an implicit faith and trust yes. that that journal is putting out good science with credible, accurate yes. conclusions. Mm-hmm. While the reality is that the pharmaceutical industry understands that the most important thing is an abstract conclusion. It's literally mm-hmm. the tip of the spear in how they do what they do, which is they put studies into those journals. It doesn't matter what data or design they do. Everything is about the abstract conclusion because they know that's what doctors read. It's the headline of everything, yep. right? And so, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. All version of clickbait on social media, right? Here's the headline. Yes. Here's yes. the yeah. And then, and we've all been guilty of that, right? We've all three learned the same thing. We would look at studies and, you know, during the pandemic, we go, that's weird. And then when you start looking at the details of how they studied it, who was funding the study, right? right. Then you're like, oh, then already I'm not listening to anything they say because right. they have a vested interest. Can I ask a question? When is Holly going to medical school? No, I need to, Dr. Corey. <laughs> Just put that on your list, Holly. Put that on your list. But- I know. I just, I do want to heal everybody, but I just am going to, I'm going to find more doctors like you, Dr. Corey, and send everybody to them. Like <laughs> we've been forced into re- doing all doing this, this, reading yeah. this research. You know, when you're in research, it used to be called reading, you know, like yeah. this is what we have to do now because we can't trust. And the problem is with the trust, doctors trust the CDC and then patients trust the doctors. My mom's like, well, my doctor said it. And what's interesting too, I remember one of my my friends posting, they're like, why is everybody not trusting this? Because the CDC said it. Why do you have to do your own research? I'm like, oh, bless you. Oh, when someone, there's, there's like, there's like a couple of phrases that when people say them now, I cringe. And I eye roll and I'm like, please. When they say, well, my doctor said, I'm like, stop. No, nope. I was about or, Holly. I was just about to say any sentence that begins with the CDC said, my yes. doctor said, the WHO said. I'm you, like, you nope. to continue. Or Fauci says anything or, Fauci says. I'm like, okay. And, and, and that's again, like I'm trying to. Maybe I'm belaboring the point, but it's it's it's, and that's really why I talked about my transformation because what happened is, you know, I started COVID as someone, a member of society, a physician in society, who had an implicit faith and trust in the institutions of society, starting from the courts to the, well, maybe not so much the government and, you know, Congress. <laughs> that's That's been a shit show for a while, but, yeah. but like the journals, the agencies, like, heck, I say it in the book. When COVID started, I thought Fauci was a sympathetic fella in a tough spot with a lot of critics doing the best he could. That's mm-hmm. where I started. I literally mm-hmm. gave the guy a break. Wow. And, and where I am now, we don't even have to talk about that. With Fauci, but, right. you know, that's, that's the next episode. But that yeah. faith and trust, everyone has. It. And here's the thing. When you lose it, when you understand that the institutions of society have been captured from the journals to the agencies, right? To the health systems, to the professional societies, all under the influence of literally a corporate uh, industry. And once you realize that 
not only are they under control, but they're capable of spreading egregious lies that cause massive amounts of deaths. Mm-hmm. And somehow the system works that way. And and what I find interesting is the individual people in that system, like I, I think, how can they go home at night? And mm-hmm. you know what? I think they can go home at night because their world and their bubble and their work I think it's created and presented or perceived in them in such a way as if they're not part of the eventual consequence. Like they feel like they're just doing their job. They're following the rules. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but they don't realize that they're a cog in a machine that's literally kind of like a lie telling machine. And and it's, it's not about public health. And and it's really sad. And so when you when you end up with the book, I, I talk about how estranged I am. Like I don't trust anything anymore. Right? I don't trust any authorities, anybody who's on a podium, no. anybody with a conflict of interest. Meaning, if you're employed by someone, a health system, a government, anything, you have a conflict of interest. Meaning, you cannot be true, you cannot be honest, you cannot be objective. Because, by the way, if your objectivity goes against who your employer is or whatever, you're done. And so one of my advice, I would say one of the things that I say is like, so who do we listen to in a sea of lies and misinformation Mm -hmm. and disinformation? Well, I say, look for these criteria. Number one, you want someone that is expert in that content matter. Number two, and probably not number two, but number one, they need to be free of conflicts of interest. They cannot work for pharma or government or a hospital or a society. Three, they have to be willing to debate, publicly debate. You guys have known this. No white coat has ever come out of the system to debate anyone. And and you guys saw that a few weeks ago when there was a little bit of a mm-hmm. little groundswell where like Rogan was trying to get yeah. hotel. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, we and were all over still- that. We were ready. We had our popcorn ready. You know what? Although it didn't happen, I think the next best thing happened because it showed Mm -hmm. the authorities and the white coats for who they are. And Hotez is a particularly reprehensible human. Horrible. But he's representative of that class and of our experts and authorities. They will not come out and debate. And they use the lamest of excuses, right? I don't want to give a platform to such uncredible people. It's such nonsense. But, (laughs) But, you know, you want them independent expert, uh, transparent with their data and willing to debate. And the fifth quality is not a requirement, but I think it helps. But if someone is showing character where they are sacrificing their livelihood or their reputation to say what they want to say, I think that's someone who needs to be heard. And, you know, that might apply to me, but I, 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 you know, here's, here's a funny joke is remember the disinformation doesn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us looked at the disinformation does and I was like, ooh, that's who I need to read. If the authorities are saying these are the 12 biggest liars in the world, I'm like, actually, those are the 12 biggest truth tellers and I'm yep. going to go listen to them, right? Follow so, the censored. Follow the censored. And I think that this is what we always say too. We we say, and the, I was going to add this until you added the number five. We always say, look at what they have to either gain or lose. Are they losing something from this or are they gaining something from this? And you risked your career, your reputation, your your, your medical license. So did Dr. Merrick. So did Dr. McCullough. All of these physicians, like you can tell you are going by morals and ethics and, you know, you're upholding that oath to do no harm. And you're yeah. going, 
even further and you're continuing to fight. I mean, you are actually saving lives. It blows my mind that you could come out and say, we are saving people or the most emotional testament, your, your Senate testimony, but then that interview after that. Um, and that's what got me uh, get going against community guidelines. Just when you said early prevention saves lives. Okay. Early treatment and prevention. And you said most important prevention that got, that, that got removed from Instagram. Okay. If, if that doesn't make people think right there, but it just blows my mind that you've got people who are treating people and they're saving lives and people aren't dying. They aren't going to the hospital because of what this is. When in the world have people said, oh no, don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, do the complete opposite of them. So it really has been the minute somebody's been censored or if I'm hearing somebody, I mean, doctors collaborate. One thing I love about the FLCCC is that y'all Y'all meet like weekly, right? Or yeah. it's, it's global. Y'all are constantly changing your protocols because yeah. of new science, because science does change. And so it's not just like this one thing. Oh, no, this one vaccine that that's going to save everybody. This one stop shop. We all know that has never been the philosophy of medicine. You know, yeah. so I love that you are a standout because you can tell it's your passion. You speak differently about it. And you are, you, you were truly seeing people dying. Like you get emotional and, and I, we all do. <laughs> and so we know, I'm like, I could see you being in the ICU and all these people get to you and it's too late. We all know there has never been a disease where you're like, oh, let's just wait. Let's just yeah. wait till you stop breathing or stop or start feeling even worse. By that point, it has wreaked havoc on your body and yeah. you couldn't save them. Why would you not try to do something? And so this is where you are. Yeah. I want people to know this is where Dr. Corey is. And this is what like drew me to you from the very beginning. We, we tried to get that message out. And he, here's, here's where I want to be humble and honest. Um, and I appreciate the sentiments towards me and, you know, whatever my courage or heroism, but let, let me be honest about that. Like when I did what I did, it's, it's what you, you, what you guys were talking about before we came on the podcast, which is that, you know, I had a certain personality and a, a general willingness to question authority and orthodoxy and guidelines. It's just what I've done all my career. And so anytime I hear someone say something definitive, you know, I say BS first. It's just appropriate, healthy skepticism. I, prove to me what you say first before I accept it wholeheartedly, right? With COVID and all that I lost and all the attacks and the sacrifice, I got to tell you, when I did what I did, I never thought that would happen to me. Mm -hmm. So I went in blind and ignorant. I did what I thought would be celebrated and warmly embraced. When right. the opposite happened, I was as shocked as anyone. And I was sad. And I did go through lots of troubles in COVID. But here's where I want to call out something. I think the same thing happened to Peter McCullough and Ryan Cole. I don't think mm -hmm. any of us knew what was going to happen. But there's one exception. And I want to call this out to you. Robert Malone. Mm -hmm. He knew full well, him and Jill knew full well what they were doing, meaning they knew that when they were going to speak out about the vaccines, that they were going to decimate their careers. And they're the only ones who I think had the foresight and knowledge of what was going to happen to them. And by the way, everything that they thought was going to happen to them happened to them. Yeah. So if you want to talk about a true hero and a true moral and convicted, um, you know, human and physician with integrity, I would say it was Robert and his wife, because they, they, literally they're a very successful consultancy business where they worked on marrying uh, research needs of the government with private industry. They, they, they did lots and lots of things in science. That business is totally gone. Yeah. And All because he told the truth. 
Right. He told, and he knew what was going to happen when he told the truth. I was like hippy dippy, naive, enthusiastic, like, hey, we found ivermectin. Found you know, hello world. Yeah. You know, I have an answer for you. And then I just got buried. That was going to happen, guys. Yeah, we didn't either. When we started looking into things, you know, and we saw the the doctors on the what what were the when they were talking about it was like Stella Emanuel the when they were on the at the no we you know they were talking about hydroxychloroquine we're like oh my gosh we're like this is great news y'all like let's share it far and wide and then that got started getting censored and taken down and we're like what I mean we were just completely shocked yeah. Yeah, you know, Amy, that point, I, I want to bring out that point because, you know, when, when the war started and, 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 and when things started to get really rough for us after we really identified the data signal around ivermectin, we understood how life-saving it was. We were trying to put that out, like, you know, the censorship, right? And when you look at those community guidelines, which you guys have, have run afoul of more times than me, yeah. probably. <laughs> but. But when you actually read the page, right, when you go to YouTube and you look at their community guidelines, like, and you read the statements, like, this is even two years ago. I was like, what world are we living in? Like, they will say, be, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's basically like, you are not allowed to discuss hydroxychloroquine in the treatment of COVID. You are not allowed to discuss ivermectin as a potential or even modestly therapeutic. Like, they're literally telling you. You can't discuss potential therapies in a worldwide global pandemic, which is killing hundreds of thousands around the world. But we don't want you to talk about these therapies. And by the way, at the time, whatever you want to think about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, let, let's just say at the time it wasn't known. Is the right answer to say you can't talk about it? No. No. But that was an early answer. Do not you, – you come on this channel and you talk about this is potentially working, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, medicines that have saved lives, medicines that are on like the who's essential medicine list. Like these are, it's not like this is a brand new medicine that you're talking about. These are, this is medicine that won the Nobel Prize. You know, well, like this is just insane. Well, it went like, further than not even, it went further than just not talking about it to, we were in a unique situation, just us as a podcast. We had people, do y'all remember in 2021, co contacting us left and right in our local hospital where we live in North Carolina, people desperate right. to get ivermectin to their loved ones. I mean, desperate. They found David and our hospital would yeah. deny, deny them. So yeah. one of our yeah. first podcast episodes was a couple as a, a um, who the husband went through, I can't even tell you what he went through to get ivermectin to his wife. She was, I mean, and they're young, like in their thirties, she was dying. And that episode is what really catapulted our podcast, honestly, because people were so intrigued by that story. And they were just like, you know, that's when we really created a, the following. Well, no. Amy, was was that in that case was the husband able to save his wife by getting her ivermectin yes. somehow, yes. some way? Yes. Uh, only yes. because he went. This is what he had to do, just for our listeners and for you to know, Doctor Corey. He went to a pharmacy, not in the hospital. Yep. A pharmacy yep. would still dispense it because by then, by the way, I had to get my ivermectin from a compounding pharmacy and from a doctor who would still prescribe it. And this is August 2021. So this is what happens. They go and get it and he has to bring it into. And the only reason he got away with it was one of the attending physicians. Only one out of all the ones in the hospital said secretly, I get it. 
if you'll go get it, I'll give it to her. And he said, wow. I think I'm going to have to quit my job because I won't get the vaccine. And this was a, so he had a sympathetic physician. I was going to say, he, he got lucky. He had a really sympathetic, awake physician who was willing to do a little bit to little help, bit. you know, cut the rule, you know, cut corners, break the rules, which is what you're supposed to do as a physician. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I've been in so many clinical situations where, and I want to all due respect, Kristen, I love nurses. My nurses have saved my ass more times than many, but there are situations where things are not what people can see. And yeah. I realize I have to violate a policy. And then I have a yeah. nurse in my face telling me that I'm violating policy and nothing gets me angry. Oh, I would violate a lot of policies. It's about- not about a policy. This is about a patient who's dying and I got to yes. do it. So, but he, here's the thing about that. I want you guys to know this and you guys may know this, but in terms of those cases of patients in the hospital dying, right, where their family members were awake, aware, studied enough, where they knew that one option that had not been exercised was giving the patient ivermectin, right? So Ralph Larigo is this lawyer from Buffalo, New York. You guys probably know Ralph's story. And, you know, the, the first case that he had, he's a commercial litigator. He doesn't do this stuff. And he had a longtime client whose mom was in the hospital on a ventilator with COVID, and he heard about our work, our protocols, and he went to the ICU doctor and he said, hey, can you give them ivermectin like these doctors are recommending? And the ICU doctor said, yes, gave her ivermectin. She came off the ventilator within like 36 hours. Then she got transferred to a COVID ward. And guess what? The doctors on the COVID ward would not give her ivermectin. And she started to get worse. So he calls Ralph, commercial litigator. He's like, Ralph, I... I, we got to do something. So Ralph sues the hospital to give her the ivermectin. He wins the court order. The judge orders that she be given ivermectin. She's out of the hospital five days later. Now, here's the deal. Over the next year, Ralph got 200 cases of families trying to get their patients ivermectin. 80 of those cases went to court. What's really interesting is 40 cases he won and 40 he lost. Now, he was winning a lot of the cases early, but hospital, you know, word spreads. Hospitals mm-hmm. started to get the idea and he started losing cases because the hospitals were coming out with every trick in the book, teams of lawyers, everything. But here's the final tally. 80 cases went to court. 40 he won, 40 he lost. Of the 40 cases he won, 38 patients survived. Amazing. Of the 40 cases he lost, Two patients survived. That tells you. What more do you need? I mean, if that's not a randomized control trial. I don't right. know what is. It's pretty dang close, right? I mean, that right there tells you, and that's what I want our audience to know. And, and what, what we really feel like our mission is, is do you understand that there were treatments that doctors like Dr. Corey, Dr. McCullough, all, all, people who were actually, by the way, for, foremost authorities in their fields already, right? Like, mm-hmm. Dr. Corey, you weren't just an ICU doctor. Like, your specialty, you were made for this moment with your with your background, right? I mean, you were the guy we should be saying, what do you think we should do? Yeah. <laughs> and you, and, you know, Dr. McCullough, with his heart, cardi, you know, cardiologist experience, like, we, you're all talking. How do we figure this out? And, and Dr. Merrick, of course, all these amazing doctors. And you guys are, are trying things. Hey, based on the science I know and the experience I have, let's try this. 
and the fact that they didn't want you to do it and that the fact that once you did do it and you saw what was happening and you saw you could save lives that they came against you told us everything we needed to know i didn't have to know something was really wrong in this world and in our country than to just know that they want they were telling all of us to go home and wait it out and, and only go to the er if we couldn't breathe which is too late in many yep. cases it's going to be too late and that alone told us something's wrong and just so you didn't know we we've posted this before joe rogan talked about it just i think it was last week he did a great little synopsis that we reposted on our social media where joe rogan said hey just remember if they had ivermectin there's no vaccine if yep. you have a treatment, there's no emergency use authorization for that vaccine. Yep. And guys, everything points to the fact they wanted these vaccines administered yep. and they yep. had every reason to get them out there and they had every reason to shut the rest of us up. Well, and that is scary. I mean, you, you, that, I mean, that is literally the, the, you know, early treatments and in particular hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I mean, they were attacked, destroyed by global disinformation campaigns using all the corrupt levers of science with the trials and everything we discussed. But it was for one reason only, right? This pandemic had only one response, which was a global vaccination campaign. And had those drugs been found to be effective, the emergency youth authorizations for the vaccines would have never launched them. That's number one. Number two, it would have decimated the markets for the pricey patented pharmaceuticals, Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, Remdesivir, and monoclonal antibodies. I mean, you're talking about markets when you talk about the vaccines and all those things. It, within a couple of years of $100 billion. Remember, billion is a thousand million. It's a, a lot million. of money. <laughs> and so you're talking about some of the biggest money opportunities on earth. And here comes little ivermectin, a little hydroxychloroquine. And, and, it's, and it's famous little cheerleader, Dr. Corey, who they squashed like a bug. <laughs> and, and then the FDA with the, uh, their you're not a horse on their oh, social media oh. page, like their official social media. And what just kills us right now is hearing that testimony where they're saying, well, we never... What, like we never said you you couldn't you couldn't use it, Amy. What do you Amy, what do that, you mean? Let's talk because right now we're right in the middle of that. Sorry, yeah. news cycle, right? But right. I mean, last week, so Paul Paul Marek is a plaintiff on that case. Robert Apter, Mary Tally Bowden, who's one of our early treatment warriors, she's amazing. Um, you know they they you know with the help of uh, Boyd and Gray, which is a really powerful law firm, but wake people. They knew something was wrong and they pro bono represented the three of them to sue the FDA. Now, the Ooh. case was originally thrown out. This was the appeal, but the hearing was last week and so many people watched the hearing. By the way, the FDA lawyer got hammered. Hammer. The FDA looks so terrible. They had to admit they're, they're trying to pretend, oh, those were just quips. You know, quips are like witty little phrases. And right. do we pay the FDA to come up with witty little phrases to confuse yeah. the American public? I don't think that's in their charter, right? And so they're literally claiming like, no, we always said that people could prescribe, but we were just making fun. And it, it's absolutely clown world. Clown world. But that case, Amy, like you called that, I mean, that's big. A lot of people have paid attention to that. That story is going around the world. People are starting that. That's a breakthrough. It's finally showing through the edifice of these trusted institutions and agencies that they're full of shit. Right. And did you, the FDA did have to come out and say, we cannot stop physicians for prescribing yep. ivermectin. And, and, and tell that I, to the people who died. Tell that to the family oh, members who died. I mean, exactly. I would be. 
Well, you know what, though? but then again, it's not even the doctors. When you actually found a doctor that would prescribe it, the pharmacies would not fill it because the CDC, I've got it right here. One of my pharmacist yeah, friends read this it, to me, read it. the CDC and FDA would, would recommend, they're letting pharmacists be the doctor. Okay. Like this is one of the recommendations. Okay. It says pharmacists are reminded that they have a right to refuse to fill or refill any prescription order if doing so would be contrary to their professional judgment. Moreover, a pharmacist shall not fill or refill a prescription order if, in the exercise of the pharmacist's professional judgment, there is a question as to its safety for the patient. I mean, this is basically, I would be pissed if I was a doctor and I went to med school and I can prescribe this medicine and now a pharmacist. Now, I'm not saying the pharmacist, they do, they do a whole lot of work too, but now they're being allowed to be the doctor and make that judgment and character. But not only that, the hospitals, once you would get the, the administrators and then the pharmacist, you finally find a pharmacy that would fill it. The hospital would not let you bring it to your family member. You weren't even allowed to see your family. And those were all things that came from above. Most people are easy cowed and, and cowardice. And, you know, they're told something above, they're going to follow the rules. And most retail pharmacists around the country, they hear from their American boards of pharmacy that if you do this, you'll get in trouble. I mean, they, everyone just kind of follows orders. They want to stay in line. But what I find interesting is like what you just read. This is, again, I'm not a lawyer. This hasn't been tested, but... That sounds all very well and good. Like the pharmacist has the right to refuse to fill a prescription that they feel, and I, I can't remember the language, but that they don't disagree with it. They think it's right. you know, so. So basically, wherever that language comes from, I'm going to tell you it hasn't been tested in court. I will tell you right now to all the pharmacists out there: keep doing it, keep mm -hmm. refusing to fill valid prescriptions by an expert physician, and when you get sued. Good luck using Good that luck. piece of paper and that argument in court. It will not work. But go test it. Go test it. Go think that your ethics and morals allow you to claim some superior knowledge or discernment or judgment on a patient you don't even know. That's the yeah. other thing. When they refuse to fill a prescription, they're doing it on a patient whose circumstances, history, comorbidities, other medicines they have no idea of. So they're going to make a major impactful medical decision without all the medical knowledge try yep. holding up your behavior in court i will tell you they will go down mm. yeah. and and that's and what's so funny yeah. about that whole thing that she read to you dr corey at the very top the actual title says something about current um what guidelines for administering ivermectin. so it literally was about ivermectin anyway yep. fda and cdc continue to warn against the use of ivermectin for prevention or treatment of covid19 and and notice the word warn. Yes. It's not recommend. It's no, not. It's warn. warning. It, it, right. I, I got to tell you, it's so weaponized. The information, the language, the coercion, the manipulation. It, it's basically it's all forms of propaganda, right? So the so definition that I like for propaganda, it's a story or a message which which is getting you to think or act in a certain way. That's yeah. all they want. So when you see that language and you see those kind of actions. All they're trying to do is get the average doctor, pharmacist, patient, whatever, to think or act in a certain way. And then what they want to do is they want you to think ivermectin doesn't work and make sure you don't use it. And that's what it's all intended to do. And it's very, very effective, right? So or my scary. book is called The War on Ivermectin. And I, I don't want to shoot to the end, but one of the things I say towards the end of the book is that 
I believe that the war on ivermectin was fought to a stalemate. I don't think we lost. We certainly didn't win. Meaning, I think with our efforts, and it's not just the FLCCC, because although I talk about from the vantage point of myself within the FLCCC, I will tell you, though, through my journey, I've met many clinicians and researchers from FLCCCs around the world. When I say FLCCC, meaning similar organizations of like-minded, ethical, you know, courageous physicians who knew what the right thing was amidst, amidst this mass of just insane misinformation, disinformation in France and Italy and Belgium and India. I mean, I know tons of doctors everywhere, South Africa, who knew what the right thing was. And all of us tried to do the same thing. And I will tell you, as a result of all of our communal efforts across the world, many hundreds of thousands of doctors and many millions of patients were saved. Mm. However, on the flip side, the vast majority of physicians have never used ivermectin, will never use ivermectin, will never start using ivermectin now. The patients who don't think it works will not seek it out. But, you know, but at the same time, I think, although we didn't win, it's not standard of care worldwide. It's not the first thing that everyone gets. I still think a good portion of the world knows that it works. Doctors will continue to use it. Patients will continue to seek it, but it's, it's a minority of the world. But we, we fought for every inch of that. And, yes. and I'm happy with what we accomplished. Again, that we're never going to win against these forces, but um, I think we got the truth out to enough people that uh, I, I, I can go to bed at night. Well, and that's the thing I do want to ask you too, Dr. Corey, because I know during this whole process of you fighting for us and fighting for your patients, and you had no time. I like reading your story. I'm exhausted thinking about <laughs> all that you were doing, especially like during the height. I'm like, golly. But one of the things that I thought really as a mom, so you'll you know you'll notice we're mama bears, and you know, you were dealing with your own daughter's illnesses and one of the things that you've become more vocal about is the fact that your daughters have pandas, which is a, a, a disease that really none of us even knew about 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Yep. Yep. And we're seeing it on the rise. And it's actually, I don't even think acknowledged as an actual disease, but I actually know a guy who's who loves our podcast, whose daughter or son has it. You were dealing with some debilitating because it's a neurological attack, basically, of like the like they're they're there, it's a, it's bad. And you were dealing with that while dealing with this. And you've had two, two of your three daughters have had it. Sure. Now, I know that you have become more vocal in saying that now you realize what could be impacting the rise in this diagnosis, as well as the rise in autism, autoimmune disease, peanut allergies, you name it, children are as sick as they've ever been. And you have said that basically your deep dive Besides taking you from liberal Democrat <laughs> to not, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and from a doctor who trusted the journals and the three-letter agencies to a doctor who absolutely does not, you now say, you know what? We need to revisit the whole vaccine situation with kids. Will yeah. you shed a light on that? Because I know we have some parents who are interested. They yeah. actually, people wanted us to ask you this question. What's yeah. your take? So um, I, I think I'm just going to piggyback on what you said, because Holly, you, you summarized it well. So with this transformation and, you know, uh, again, a guy who already questioned and challenged orthodoxy. And when I started doing COVID, the answers I found were just 
worse and crazier than anything I'd done before. Before I found mostly intellectual laziness and status quo generating stuff. And it wasn't really so much corruption. It was just kind of intellectual laziness. With COVID, what I was discovering is every time I pushed back, I found massive corruption behind it. And so once I found what a fraud the COVID vaccines were and what a humanitarian catastrophe they unleashed, I started looking at the childhood vaccines. And all I can tell you is it doesn't take very long for you to find out that what happened with the COVID vaccines is essentially what's happened with almost every vaccine. They've all yeah. been fraudulent. They've all been misrepresented to the public as the saviors and the backbone and the protection of childhood health and the myths about how they've eradicated childhood diseases. False, 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 and false. And so you find that in 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 actuality, it, it, tell me if this is the wrong place to be real, but um, uh, no. 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 you find out that the entire body of evidence supporting vaccines as a mainstay of public health is built on a Myth. Myth. There's no data to support these ever-expanding mandatory vaccination schedules and the harms of it. Not only the efficacy and the importance is near nil, okay, historically. Yeah. yeah. But then you move over to the toxicity and the suppression of the toxicity of the childhood vaccine schedule from everything you mentioned, autism, ADHD, uh, childhood allergies, autoimmune diseases, chronic illnesses, exploding all correlating with the explosion in the schedule, right? So, so you, you get to see that somehow we live in a world at a time where you have a major public health intervention, which is the backbone of pediatrics and lots of modern medicine, which is literally a toxin and is being applied to our children throughout society. And we're suffering. We have sick kids who are on tons of medicines and many of them impaired, destroying families, right? When you talk to a vaccine injured uh, mother or father, a vaccine injured child, you know, their lives are taken over full total care. You know, I have some patients who've come to see me, they have vaccine injured children, they're getting older. And when I hear them, they're in their fifties and sixties. And you know what they worry about? They worry about dying, not because they want to live, they're worried about who's going to take care of their kids. They, they are so much stressed because no one can take care of an autistic child the way a mother or a father can. And we all know that. And the, the, the tragedies of this vaccine schedule are incredible. And the, the last thing I want to say, so that people don't just trust me for what I say, but as you guys know, and maybe you guys have read this, but the book, Turtles All the Way Down, Right heavily referenced, written by as expert and as well, uh, some of the greatest um, scientific writers. I mean, that book is so perfectly written mm -hmm. and it's astounding. And once you read that book, you'll never be the same again, never be no. the same again. So I'll, I'll finish by saying I came from that guy that I described, right? My children fully vaccinated. You know, yeah, I showed up. I actually thought flu shots were bullshit even when I had to get them, but I didn't yeah. care. I was just like, whatever. I thought they were benign. I was like, all right, right. give my flu shot, I'll go back to work. But now, you know, yeah. I will come out publicly and I will say with absolute 100% certainty, if I had young children today, they would not get one single childhood vaccine. Not tetanus, Amen. nothing, nothing. We are right, right there with you. We're right, right there right with there. you. We are when you know better, you do better. And, you know, yep. you said that rise of childhood disease with the, um, you know, the number of vaccines on the schedule, just like 
the rise of excess mortality in our working age people um, with the the introduction of something in 2021. Yes. Remember, we won't say it. Hold on, hold on. Somebody wrote an op-ed on that. Yes. Somebody. Yes. Who was that? <laughs> making just that. But I mean, just the life insurance, you cannot refute the data from the life insurance companies. You can't. Okay. So, and I love how you didn't say what it was. And we all know why you didn't say what it was, because like you said, they would have not never published your op-ed because where it was a USA Today. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I like that you said that, Amy, because it's funny because I, I published that op-ed also on my personal Substack, and I have a lot of followers there. And yes. some of the commenters were like, Dr. Corey, why didn't you mention vaccines? <laughs> I was like laughing. Yeah. I was like, uh, what world are you living in? Like that would have never, ever gotten published. But I thought we did a very good job. We presented the data and all we're doing is asking a question. And anyone with two functioning brain cells, can you think of any other plausible answer for why we are seeing unprecedented deaths suddenly spiking amongst young people, white collar Americans, not not drug addicts, homeless, destitute, the poor. You're literally talking about the healthiest sectors of society dying at unprecedented rates. And the last time I checked, we haven't yet been mobilized to go to war in Ukraine. So they're not dying on the front lines of a mm -hmm. battlefield, right? There hasn't been like a spate of terrorist events that have decimated our young. The only thing that happened in September of 2021 was the proliferation of employer and corporate mandates, federal employee mandates. And you can see the death and destruction in the life insurance data. It's right there. It's out in the open. And yet no one's looking at it. But here's the thing. By not mentioning the vaccine, I got the question into right. USA Today. And yeah, so I, I got to tell you, on our side, the people that I know, everyone was just like, they were shocked that we got such an op-ed into the yeah. uh, media. I, I yeah. just have to wonder if there's not someone at USA Today that's like, yeah, we need to be talking about this, right? Like, is there not some of these middle of the ground road people who don't know all that we know yet, but they know something's not right? They're like, well, why? Yeah, they're naively, they're naively going to their boss well, being like, oh my gosh, we should look into this. And then all of a sudden they're fired. Yeah, but yeah. Holly, wait, wait, wait. If you actually look, if you read the article online, there's like yeah. links in the middle, which is like global warming causing unprecedented deaths. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so, of course. Nice. And, and, like on those. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, they, you know, they, it's still a war. It's still Cold a war. Showers. I can see what they do. Cold flowers and exercising and making up your bed. What else? What else was there? Coffee? Wait, wait, breathing too fast and then yeah. referee, referee whistles, which is actually a spoof. But I totally oh. believe it. Did you guys see that article? It was like, well, referees blowing their whistles too loud is what's causing all the cardiac arrests on the ball field. And I yeah. actually thought that was a real article because we live in a clown world. It totally yeah. seemed with me. But it turned out that was actually a spoof headline. But we all believed it. I was like, yeah, they're now blaming it for referee whistles. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. But they would do. That's yep. it. And that's just the thing, you know, the, the, the fact that they wanted to put all your all of your treatments and all these other doctors that were effectively treating COVID through these tr trials, they wanted you to go through all this testing, which would have taken way too long. Right. And let's be real. We don't even trust those anymore. But yep. they didn't do the same for the vaccines, but they were pushing those like crazy. It shows you the utter hypocrisy of all this. And again, we're going to tell our audience, you have got to read this book. It's not even about ivermectin, although we want to do a whole nother conversation with you about other ways that ivermectin is effective because to me, it's a fascinating drug.
that you yeah. guys have been using. It's really mm. fascinating. I have one more thing. I have one more thing just before I like, I don't want to yeah. forget because I don't want to ask this. So, you know, we're all gearing up for the next wave, right? I'm sure y'all are seeing it. You're feeling it with the E5WG, yep. whatever it is. <laughs> and the election cycle's getting ready to start. Here we come 2024. Yep. So like, yep. what, what is the FLCCC? What are y'all doing to prepare? What are you going to do? Like, are you ready for this? this you're going to the so, second time around. So, so I love that question. Here's how I'm going to say it. Um, we're ready. Here's, here's what I want to say. If we now know, compiling all the data of all therapeutics and COVID, we now have 47 different interventions that are effective against COVID that are supported by clinical controlled trials. 47. Ivermectin's at the top, is number one of all the provable medicines, but we have 47. And so all I want to say is, I don't know what they're going to throw at us next. It's probably going to be a virus because it's so highly transmissible. I don't know what its qualities or character is going to be. But we literally have 47 different interventions to choose from. And as doctors, we also know combination therapies, like Peter McCullough has been saying for three years, combination therapy, just like with HIV or any virus. I will guarantee you, Amy, they throw something at us. The FLCCC will come up with a rational, safe an effective combination therapy protocol for whatever they come up with. Okay. I don't know what they're going to do, but we're going to be on it. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to be watching and following. And I think that's really the last, well, we could talk to you for a gazillion hours, honestly. So I want, but I want you to tell us this because we hear this a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll share what we know and people say, yeah, but now what? Is there going to be justice? Is there going to be, are we going to fix the system? Like what, what can we do, Dr. Corey, as we move forward collectively as a society, as a country, to not, not participate in this happening again, but start righting these wrongs, fixing yeah. our broken medical system? Like, what, what's right. your take on that? So, so I'm going to quote my friend. If you've read the book, you'll, you'll know the, the name Hector Carvalho, who's a, a retired physician in Argentina. I would say he's probably one of the first in the world to recognize how effective ivermectin was. He, he sent in a paper around ivermectin in March of 2020 to the, to the Journal of the American Medical Association. He, he's a lovely man, one of the funniest men. But, and he and I have been on, in this fight together. He, you know, he's fighting in South America. I'm up here in, in the U.S. But he said something to me a year and a half ago. And, and, and this is why you're asking me, um, Holly, but, you know, I'm a physician. You know, what he said to me a year and a half ago, and I totally believe it's like, it's time for the lawyers. I, I mean, yes. there's, there's only so much I can accomplish, and it's time for the lawyers, the prosecutors, the judges, and the fucking prisons. Yes. 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 We are ready yes. for that. And if they don't put them in prison, I have other ideas, but we'll talk about that off camera. <laughs> because <laughs> That too. This is where I have to hand it off to my legal colleagues. They yeah. got to get the job done. I've I've gotten all the data, all the evidence, and, and I'll just tell you, I won't overshare, but I'm involved with a number of different legal actions where I'm an expert right. witness. Some of them are quite promising. Um, some of them are kind of major. They they deal with major statewide legal uh, uh, actions uh, mm -hmm. against major entities, and so. In fact, I've, I've started to travel less and, and lecture less, and I, I'm trying to limit my activities to more legislatures for, for like state legislation to protect doctor autonomy, physician autonomy, as well as uh, expert testimony for a lot of these legal actions. And I hope my efforts there 
will help the lawyers do what they're supposed to do. I'm a doctor. I'm not a lawyer, right? right and yeah. so Evidence. time for them to step up and, and get this job done and, and hold people accountable, hold people responsible. And so we as a society can learn what went wrong, who, who did what, how they did it, and so yeah. and punish them and make sure it well, doesn't. Accountability. Yes. Oh. Well, we need more, you know, Siri, right? Aaron series. We need more Aaron yes. series in the world who will go after and will win. You know, mm-hmm. and and here's the thing. That's such a great point. And this is girls. This is something we can start advocating, starting to round up some of these attorneys all over the country and also helping people. Some of these attorneys are working pro bono. And I know it's not cheap for them to represent, but obviously there needs to be some money involved to help them go to work on these cases. So that's something the American people could start giving towards and, and trying to support so that we can win and we can set precedents and we can frankly punish the people who've done this to us for the well, last I'll, I'll tell you, just because you brought it up, Holly, I just want to let people know. So Steve Kirsch of the Vaccine Safety Research mm-hmm. Foundation, my organization helped, but we put on a law conference in Atlanta a few months ago. I lawyers all, yeah, yeah, lawyers from all the country, Aaron Siri was helpful. And a lot of them realized, yes, some of them are doing pro bono, but they see how much um, sort of legal basis they have to get awards for the people who've been harmed. And I I think that's a huge uh, opportunity. I think lawyers should get involved and it would be great if they did it pro bono, just like I blew up my life pro bono, but you know, know, maybe some lawyers can do that too. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I think one of the greatest things, I mean, we, when I first heard you talk and I was first reading your protocol and your protocol, my dad had, heart disease. And, you know, he was the one person who wasn't scared of COVID. It was amazing. He's in his seventies. He was like, listen, I've lived a great life. I'm not social distancing anymore. I'm tired. We're going to see each other. You know, he just, he's just such a rebel. He's a lot like you. God bless him. But the minute he got it, he was on his ivermectin Mm -hmm. and he got it from a cattle feed store. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, he's on his ivermectin. Listen, he's from the country, but let me just tell you what he did. He got better. He went through COVID as well as anyone I'd seen. Then all of his country folks from the rural part of North Carolina that he's from, they were at home suffering, many of them close to death because they were sent home. They were of, they were his age. He started taking ivermectin and the protocol to their houses, Dr. Corey. And there are people who will tell you he saved their lives. Mm-hmm. So you started it. And I just yeah. say thank you because we full people that we're sitting here talking to you and getting to know you is just such a joy. But thank you. Thank yeah. you. What you did, we appreciate you, you it. You guys are the best, man. Can we do this every week? Yes, yes. <laughs> we're gonna stay in touch Wait, because sure. honestly, there's can we be the fourth person on your show? We'll just yeah, do this. Yeah. Every yes. I love that plan. Listen, we, we have a joke. We have a joke. Don't tease you. us. Don't tease us. <laughs> You're gonna be on here. Listen, but I will say we have a joke. We have like a little swear jar where we have to like we joke that we have to put a dollar in every time we swear. Well, you'll make our swear jar go up. It's awesome. Yes, please. I need somebody else because it's usually me. Thank you. Well, you guys are the best, man. I'm I'm happy to hang out with you guys anytime. And I, you know, just listening to you guys, the fire, the emotion, the smarts, the study. I, I just, uh, you guys are unique. And keep doing what you're doing. We need more people like you. So thank you. Oh, thank, thank, you. you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. We love you. Can't wait to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, Dr.
Oh, oh, oh.